Welcome back to Press Break, a sports shift media podcast powered by the Juicebox Pod. I am your host, Jake Thomas, and I'm joined by my co-host, Brandon Johnson. Brandon, how are we doing this week? I am in recovery mode from all of the good basketball I binge-watched all weekend long. It was a, a treat for sure. A lot of good games, a lot of big upsets, um, but it was nice to finally see a lot of teams competing over the weekend and not so many lopsided victories. Yeah, we really were treated to a great weekend and really a great week of college basketball. Uh, we saw 13 of the top 25 teams fell this week, so there will definitely be some shakeups there in the middle of the top 25. I know that was where the majority of the losses were. Uh, my my Big 12 conference, they, they couldn't pull it out in the SEC challenge. They, they go down five to four and a few good upsets there. Baylor pulled out their win, but a few other ranked teams lose. We'll go, we'll go with what was supposed to be the top game in that SEC Big 12 challenge, which is Kansas and Tennessee. It did not really live up to the hype as Tennessee handled it easily, 80 to 61. Jaden Springer, uh, I wrote his name down first because he had 13 points, wasn't the leading scorer, but I went back and looked. He's missed some games this year, and all their losses came without him in the lineup. So he's a freshman that can be a big key for Tennessee if they want to win more games here in the SEC. Yeah, and it's always interesting to find those key players that we didn't know about, especially this year. Um, typically, there's so many, there's so little absences that it, they're highlighted more. But this year with mm -hmm. COVID and and all that stuff, the injury reports and who's out, who's not is just so vast. It's, it's getting lost in the muck. And yeah, that's definitely a name, Springer, that we overlooked there. And um, he definitely changed the dynamic of Tennessee. I mean, Kansas was the favorite for me going into that game. Mm -hmm. um, and then here comes, like you said, here comes this kid. And I'm like, well, that, this Tennessee team doesn't look like the one I thought they were going to go up against. <laughs> um, and, yeah. You know, his versatility from his position definitely stretched Kansas out. Yeah. Uh, and I really thought that defensively it is where Tennessee really took over that game. Kansas is not really known as an offensive powerhouse this year, but they really were able to shut down I knew at one point they were they were one of 15 from three so they weren't shooting the ball well um but Tennessee just strapped up and didn't really give them many easy shots and I think that led to the victory I think I think Kansas I'm trying to think of where I put them now in the country because they were they were 15th going into that game and we kind of said beforehand that last week that the loser of this game is in danger of like dropping out of the top 25 possibly, or they, they are just kind of being put in the rear view mirror as a team that can't really compete. Uh, I know Kansas wants to play that four guard style. They don't really have the bigs this year outside of McCormick, but if you're going to play a four out lineup, you have to be able to score. And that's just something that they're not doing only 61 points in this game. Yeah. And I think the, the interesting thing was that the things Tennessee was doing weren't, really intricate they were very fundamentally sound they had active hands in lanes um they had really good spacing on the defensive side there was not a lot of gapping um mm -hmm. and that really took away driving lanes especially you know when you're going to play a four guard out you're really looking for you know penetrate and kick that's mm -hmm. that's why you go and spread that um we see a lot of teams do it that have a lot of offensive fire but we see it a lot in the nba because there's just so many different ways you can score um with all the athleticism and i think that really what got to Kansas from my point of view was the, the athleticism mixed with the length of Tennessee. They mm -hmm. were a bigger team for sure, but you don't really, you don't really understand 
how well they use their feet until you get in the game with them. Yeah. And then it's like, wow, we've got these six, seven, six, eight, six, nine dudes moving with our six, three, six, four guards. And you, you pair that with just their active hands and their good spacing on the defensive side of the ball. And it just, it, Kansas was struggling. I mean, a lot of passing around the perimeter um, and not really getting much inside. So hats off there to, um, to Tennessee and what they did. Cause yeah, 61 points for Kansas, even though you said they're not a high out, out, output team this year on the offensive end, that's still impressive to hold them to just a 61. Yep. Uh, the one, the, the one thing I, that I've been keeping track of all, all year long uh, Christian Braun for Kansas, he was kind of supposed to be, uh, he was supposed to be another shooter for them. Uh, they were supposed to be able to hit big time shots. I went back and looked, he was 0-4 from deep in that game. He has two games this year, one that he shot five of six in, one that he shot six of 12. In the other games since starting Big 12 play, he's five of 31. So that, that ends up being 16%. And he's supposed to be their their high profile shooter. It's just not going to work out. It's kind of the the only guy that they have that they can trust on the outside is uh, Ogbaji. He's a good all around player, but Miles Garrett isn't really going to. He's your defensive guy. Braun's supposed to be your scorer. And I didn't realize it, but Jalen Wilson, the freshman that we had kind of given some praise to earlier on in the year, he's actually on the bench now. He started that game on the bench because uh, Bill Self hasn't been happy with his minutes. Yeah. And, you know, that's a very telling stat um, that the five for 31 since conference play started and, you know, shooters do go through slumps. Um, so, you know, that, that happens, but here we are 10, 11, some teams are flirting with 12 um, conference games into the season. This is no longer a slump. Mm -hmm. um, what it shows is that to me, the speed of the game, once they got into big 12 play, um, is just a little too much for Braun. Um, yep. He's having he's having to adjust to so many things. And I say this all the time, especially when talking about strong defensive teams that get these highly touted recruits that come in in their first year and they're going to be true freshmen, even if they redshirt. Defensive, highly intricate defensive systems will take away from a player's offense before mm -hmm. it will do anything else because they have to think so much about where to be that the fundamentals and all that stuff go away. And I think we're seeing a little bit of that with Braun in that he's having to adjust to the speed of the game at the big 12 level. And he's being asked to run, you know, a highly intricate offense and a very active defense. Kansas is typically a really good defensive team too. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's just a learning curve that he is not yet ready to, you know, hit the top of and come down the other side. Yep. Uh, I agree with you there, but uh, to, so Tennessee will move up a little bit in the rankings with two wins, Kansas, uh, they'll move back a little bit with Do the we loss. Do think Kansas falls out? I don't think they fall enough because, I mean, you have Creighton, Tennessee, Illinois, and Virginia Tech that all – they won all their games, and they were kind of directly behind Kansas. But I don't think you can drop them 11 spots. I don't think there's enough teams in front uh, that can jump that high. I think the team outside the top 25 that's most likely to get in is Florida. But uh, other than that, I don't really see them falling that far. Yeah. I agree with you there. I think it's too much, um, too much to overcome, but I think that circumstances, I guess the reason I asked that question is to me, what I've seen out of Kansas the last six games is not a top 25 team. So mm -hmm. it looks like kind of circumstantially they might still be in, um, but setting up for next week, it, the product they're putting on the floor is not that of a top 25 team. And it's been a trend, not just a one-off. 
Yeah. And I know they get an easy game on Tuesday against Kansas State. They're kind of the team to beat up on in the Big 12 this year. But then they have to go and play West Virginia again. And with the way West Virginia is shooting compared to the first time they played, it, it, they might be in for a long night uh, on Saturday. Yeah, we'll have to see how that pans out. Yeah, but uh, I guess next game we'll jump into a little rivalry game for you. Yeah, we can Virginia. skip over this. <laughs> I was going to give you the floor and uh, sit, hear your thoughts. Uh, Virginia Falls 65-51. And uh, what did you see there in that second half when Virginia Tech goes on that big run? Um, I saw a couple things. The first thing I saw was that uh, UVA's reliance on the three really got to us in that mm-hmm. second half. Um, you think about it, uh, UVA is known for their defense. They're known for holding um, opponents under, you know, 0.75 points per possession, crazy defensive mm-hmm. efficiency stats. So for a team to go on a 19-0 run against Virginia in that amount of time really shows you uh, the great job that Coach Young has done with that offense. Yeah. Uh, because they were once they figured out how to get into the lane and get into the the uh, you know the open areas, um, we were trying everything. We were trying drop zones. We were trying the tag method. We just couldn't stay with our players. And it's not really their players. It was Keve Aluma. Um, I've watched him in passing. You know, we try to cover a lot of different games, and I've seen a little bit of him to know that he's a really good player. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what he did to UVA it didn't matter. I mean, we were pulling people off the bench left and right, trying to stop him. And he just absolutely destroyed us. Uh, I think he ended up with over 20, over 30. Yeah. Uh, he ended up 29. Yeah. Right there. Um, and we had no answer for him. I'm, I would, I would venture to say that in that 19 0 run, he was probably 12 of them because um, yeah. he was the majority of their offense in the first half too. Um, but really what they did is they came out in the second half and they said, all right, frick this. Um, we're going to, we're going to, uh, we're going to face guard Trey Murphy. We're going to face guard Sam Hauser. We're going to face guard Jay Huff. Uh, we're going to switch on everything and continue those face guarding. And we're going to make Kihei Clark beat us. Mm-hmm. And um, you saw that towards the end of the first half a little bit, uh, but Kihei was actually making some shots. Um, but when, when Kihei and the thing that I, I saw that really impressed me with coach young was not only was he forcing Kihei Clark to beat him he was putting Kihei Clark in situations on the defensive end where he had to chase around and keep up with Obisabidi. And you could tell that that took Kihei's legs Mm -hmm. out from him a little bit. Um, So when, you know, you're used to contributing anywhere from four to eight points and you just lock down on defense and now you're going and being asked to be a scorer on offense. uh, I think that was a great job by Mike Young to, uh, to, is it Mike Young or Chris Young? I think it's Chris Um... Young. I'm drawing a blank. I, I think I I'm, think, I'm going to go with Mike Young. I'm pretty confident it's Mike Young. I know it's Coach Young. We'll just say Coach Young. Uh, that was one heck of a job uh, to get that done with uh, with Kihei Clark and, and put our our team in a situation where um, another player that is not an offensive threat on most nights had to beat them. And um, we paired that with going cold in the second mm-hmm. half. So it was just kind of a perfect storm. Hats off to the Hokies. Um, they're a good team this year. Um you know, and, and if you were to follow any of the UVA message boards, you would see a lot of complaining. We had Jamie Lucky, um, and we, <laughs> we alluded to that a little bit earlier in the season. I asked you, who's that one Big 12 ref you don't want to see? Uh, Jamie Lucky is, is one. Um, and you could sit there and look at the, the foul disparagement. I think it was 19 to 19 to 8. UVA was called for 19 team fouls, um, and Virginia Tech was called for 8. And I'm pretty sure of those 19 team fouls, Jamie Lucky personally called 7 of them. 
that that is one of the most frustrating things when when it's just the same guy over and over again calling yeah uh, calling fouls but that wasn't an excuse like I, I i just don't like jamie lucky because his calls are inexplicable i could care less about foul disparagement mm-hmm. um typically the home team is going to have less fouls i mean that's just the way it works out for whatever reason the home team typically gets called for less especially you got to keep in mind they were trailing i mean at one point they were down 14 points yeah. So they weren't all the they had the first when they took the lead in the second half, it was the first time since 11 to nine with like 15 <laughs> minutes left in the first half. Yeah. So I'm not going to sit here and say that, the, the you know, the calls and all that stuff and blah, 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 blah. What I'll say is this. Um, the truth is that Virginia Tech was a better team. Virginia Tech is better than what they have been in the past. And we got to see it front and center. And um, I was nothing but impressed. Yeah, I, I was. Uh, you kind of nailed everything there. Akeem Luma. Uh, that's a name that I have not heard. Uh, I've watched a Virginia Tech game this year, but I it's been a while. And, and I remembered Beatty, and I remembered some of these other guys. But uh, Aluma, he he went ten for fifteen from the field, and that was that was the thing. I felt that he could get to whatever spot he wanted to on the floor, yeah, and wherever he wanted to get his shot. And that was that was the concerning part was you just don't usually see a player be able to do that against a Virginia defense. No. Just kind of be able to pick your spot. Especially with where he was getting it. I mean, there was a stretch in the second half where he went for eight straight points. And when he caught the ball, uh, the post defender's feet were on the restricted circle already when he caught mm-hmm. it. I yep. mean, just things that you don't see. I mean, they were trying everything. They had Hauser on him. They had Huff on him. They even brought in the bigger uh, Francisco Cafaro. They call him Poppy. He's the, <laughs> you know, supposed to be the Italian Jack Salt. He's actually bigger than Jack Salt and can move better than Jack Salt, which is scary. Oh, wow. <laughs> But they even brought him in and Kive, I mean, if he can get if he can get his shoulders perpendicular to the backboard, he's gonna hit that hook every single time. Mm-hmm. You've got to keep him, and that's really all you can do is keep him out of the lane, keep him out of the lane. He has an amazing ball fake um, that gets 99% of his defenders in the air when he wants it to, and he utilizes it very well. Um, he's just he's got the whole package. I don't know what else to really say. It's kind of <laughs> like uh it's, it reminds me of, it, and I don't want to like overstate this, but I want to put it to a relatable. I know a lot of the people that listen to the show follow Big 12 basketball. Um, he reminds me a lot of Joel, Joel Embiid in college. Okay. Like, maybe not that, that potential, but what he has been doing this year and getting to wherever he wants and doing whatever he wants and being a key contributor and being able to just take his team on. He single-handedly is the reason Virginia Tech wasn't down 20 at halftime. Mm-hmm. like single-handedly that was him um and just I, I can't I can't gloat enough about that young man I hate that he wore the maroon and orange but um <laughs> I'm not going to take I'm not going to let that take away from the amazing performance he put on and the great coaching job that coach Young did for the Hokies yeah is he a local kid is he from the Virginia area I don't believe so um from what I remember from what I was hearing though I think uh, coach Young brought him over from Wofford where he came from okay I'm looking here he's from he's from Maryland so. yeah uh, the, the thing with Kihei Clark, uh, he, I know he missed a few layups there during that run, right? Uh, they were really forcing him. They were forcing him off the line too. Cause he was three from six from three. So then inside, uh, he was one of seven, had mm-hmm. a few missed layups there. I, I think it was a great game plan. Like you said, uh, shout out to coach young. Uh, maybe we can get him on and he can, uh, <laughs> he can talk about it a little bit, but 
Oh, I've got uh, some things I'd like to say to him. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, we won't harp on that game for long. Uh, we'll uh, we'll put that one in the rearview mirror. Yeah, we're just going from one sadness that. to another, JT. Uh, yeah, uh, we're just, so we're transposing my transposing my sadness onto you now. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we get to talk about uh, my Mountaineers. They they fall to Florida in the big Big Twelve SEC Challenge, eighty five to eighty. Uh, it's it's one of those things that I've been waiting for it. it it's it's been coming. I know they pulled off the win against Texas Tech on uh, on Monday. I guess that was uh, with the the late second uh, heroics by Miles McBride. But I knew the bubble was going to pop. That you can't consistently put your weight all on one guy to make shots down the stretch. Somebody else has to go get you a bucket. Uh, McBride, I believe he was he was 0-6 from three in that game and, and just struggled all night long. Culver really led the uh, led the charge for West Virginia in that game. He got 28 points and it, he figured out something at the free throw line because he's typically a 50% free throw shooter. And I believe he goes 14 of 16 from the line. But at the end of the day, you have to be able to win games if you're going to put up 80 points. I, right. I know Huggins is extremely angry about it. it the postgame interview basically said that our guys can't guard and anybody that watches can see that the second a guard wants to blow by our defense they can get into the paint and then just create easy shots so it, it's frustrating uh, i think we are a good team but the lineup has to change a little bit i think there are some guys on the bench that can play some defense and you might give up a little bit of what you have on the offensive end but you've got to keep guys out of the paint and it's just not happening right now. Yeah. And I think that that was the one that takeaway I had, because, you know, it's hard to, now that we do this show together, it's hard. I don't watch West Virginia games the same. I try to watch them <laughs> as unbiased as possible, but West Virginia has never done anything to me. So I root for them because you root for them and that's your yeah. team. Um, <laughs> and I know you're the same with UVA. So we had a nice little exchange on one of the most taught it after recruits out of the West Virginia area, Isaac McNeely, um, I, I sent J, uh, JT a text. He committed to UVA, I think right in the middle of the West Virginia game. Mm -hmm. um, and I texted JT and said, sorry, we took McNeely from you. And in no, no thought just said, if, if not us, I'm glad y'all got him." So that's where we're at with our, with our respect for each other's teams. <laughs> um, but what you said was right. Uh, Florida typically was able to do whatever they wanted to inside the paint. And you can't allow that, especially if you're going to allow them to score 80 points, just like you said. The mm -hmm. one thing that I think really made this game stand out going into it, though, is traditionally um, Florida is a team that likes to run a lot. So yeah. I think that that style of defense really played into their hands. They like that up-tempo, hectic, in my mm -hmm. face. And then when you're having to play defense like that, like, like West Virginia does – and West Virginia also likes to go fast on offense. I think they just got tired is yeah. what it kind of looked like to me down the stretch. You could see them shooting more with their arms instead of their legs. Um, and then little, just little tangible things like that. But I actually took a positive from this game for y'all because Florida is, Florida is low key really good. Yeah. Um, there's not a lot of flaws in their, in their game and they're going to get 74 plus points a game. You are not going mm -hmm. to stop them from doing that. Um, it's just a matter if you can keep up with them and it, they've got a very similar makeup to the team that two years ago made it to the elite eight. Mm -hmm. Um, and I do believe they actually have two starters from that team still, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I'm trying to think of who, cause, uh, Castleton's a junior locks, a junior, 
So they were a junior freshman. Yeah. Uh, and then Man and Payne are both sophomores. So you have three guys there that were uh, that are juniors that would have been on that team. Yeah. So I mean, I I looked at this and said, you know what? Because the game was at Florida, was it not? No, it was actually it it was in Morgantown. Okay. I always get confused because of the, whenever I'm just like watching highlights, I'm really not paying attention to who, where the game is. Mm-hmm. And weren't both teams wearing colored filled in shirts? Y'all were wearing gold and Florida was wearing black. Yes. And that, that normally, that normally throws me off. And, yeah. And it, with, uh, with West Virginia, they, uh, they repainted the court this year. I know the the paint and around the outside of the court used to be gold and mm-hmm. that kind of made it stand out a little bit. Now it's just the, the Navy blue, the kind of, it blends in with a bunch of other courts. Yeah. I hear you. But I mean, I actually thought that for for the the matchup problem that Florida created for y'all to still have a chance to win this game down the stretch and eighty five eighty isn't very indicative of how close it was. I mean, y'all had y'all were down two with twenty five seconds left and just had an untimely turnover by uh, McBride, and you know then you have to play the foul game. So yeah. I mean, for the problems that it presented and the way that they were able to get into the paint against y'all. I actually thought that y'all did really well. And I thought that this could be something um, that, that Huggins can use. And he already was in the press conference. Like you said, we can't guard um, Huggins recruits, Huggins recruits ballers and mm-hmm. they're going to take that challenge and they're going to respond. Um, so if anything, I think this is, can be one of those motivational losses um, for West Virginia, but definitely, definitely concerning that um, Florida got, what was it? 40, plus points in the paint yeah i mean that's it, it really is like a, guards can just kind of uh just walk right in and they, they can kind of do a little floater shot or if one of our big guys steps up just drop it down to a big guy but it's something you said about florida can you imagine what they would be this year if they had Keontae johnson dude they, that's crazy he was supposed to be their best player and then he i forget what the, what the injury was yeah what, what was the injury i can't he, um at first it was something with a spine um, oh, okay. From when he got he got undercut on accident, and um, he's from our area, so uh, he's oh, a okay. he's a seven five seven guy. So the, he he was all over the news. I feel like I was part of his recovery. They broadcast it so well, mm. um, but yeah, he uh, he definitely has to recover from that. But ooh, if so, they had him, <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing I was surprised with uh, looking at like stats and some of the guys that were previewing the game, they said about how how bad Florida was defensively. And I mean, they still gave up 80 points. So, I mean, it's not a great defensive performance, but I thought they really got up and pressured. I, I thought they were more athletic than the West Virginia guards because mm-hmm. they, they really wanted you. And I guess against other teams, it may work, but they really dared you to drive by them. And some of our guards, they're built more as shooters instead of guys that want to get off the dribble. Deuce yeah. McBride can do it. Uh, Taz Sherman can do it. But outside of that, you got Jalen Bridges uh, Sean McNeil, Jordan McCabe, those guys really just want to kind of stand out there and shoot. And they weren't really allowed to do that. And I think that played a factor in some of those guys just not being able to have the typical game that they normally would. Yeah. And you know, that's kind of a mirror of the offensive end, you know, when, when these Florida guards are so easily are beating the West Virginia guards so easily, they know they're faster. Mm-hmm. Um, so then that gives them the confidence on the defensive end to get up in their, you know, get up in their numbers and fully, okay, if he makes a good move and, and does beat me, I can, I know that I can at least recover and get back in position. So it makes guarding when you, when you are destroying somebody and I meant just cooking on the offensive end, um, like you were saying repetitively, they mm-hmm. were just going right by them. 
you know, on the defensive end, you can press up. Um, and, and I did notice that trend. It didn't start out that way, um, but it definitely, it definitely moved to that being their permanent defense. And it definitely bothered, like you said, the standing and shooting guards uh, that y'all typically like to throw out there. Yep. Uh, but it, well, we'll, I, I did take it. You, you said that the, you can take some positives away from this game. I definitely think so. Uh, you got some games coming up here. I know I was looking at the schedule. We've got Iowa state on Tuesday and then we've got six straight games against ranked opponents mm-hmm. uh, with, o- with Oklahoma moving into the mix there uh, as one of the top teams, they, they've taken down a few top 10 opponents. It, it's going to be a rough stretch of uh, we play Baylor twice in three days and then we get treated to Texas right after that. It, it's going to be a rough stretch, but if they can get through that about 500, uh, maybe go three and three in that stretch, uh, I'll be happy. Yeah. And shout out to the, to the Sooners, man, Boomer Sooner. That's uh, my best friends. That's his squad. And um, they did what they did to Alabama without their best player. Yeah. Like, I I think that that went, if you watched the game, you know that, but it wasn't really well broadcast. So Mm -hmm. those of y'all listening, what they did to Alabama, a team that we were just talking about being a final four team, not two weeks ago. (laughs) um, They did, they did that to them without their best player. And I can tell you right now, someone who had money on that game, I watched that game and um, it was not as, it was not close. Oklahoma was the far superior squad. Uh, Alabama, which, I mean, uh, we can just jump into that and we can kind of go over the top 25 here. But uh, Oklahoma was sitting at 24, and they will get a big jump. Alabama, they can shoot threes, and they can make them in bunches. So that kind of kept them in it, just scoring in short bursts Mm -hmm. to kind of keep them just in that range uh, of just close enough. But, uh, yeah, you're right. Oklahoma – they have they end up with four guys in double digits, and only six guys scored. They just they did just enough from the their main crew, and was able to hold Alabama to sixty one points, which that's a feat in its own. Playing that good of defense against a team that was putting up, I think they put up a hundred on somebody a couple of weeks ago. Who's that now? Alabama put up a hundred on, uh, I just pulled it up. Uh, they put up a hundred on LSU right. a couple weeks ago. So you have a team that uh, is consistently scoring in the eighties and you hold them to 61. That's a very impressive win. Yeah. And I think, um, <laughs> I don't know how else to really say it. Oklahoma was just thicker. Mm-hmm. If you, if you know what I'm saying, like they were just wider, thicker bodied. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, I think that on the drives that they did have, I think that they were getting beat up a little bit. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, Alabama runs that NBA style offense. Um, and, and that, that does go in spurts. Uh, mm-hmm. luckily they had the scores to do it. And the reason I got lost in the translation of who we were actually talking about is because I was scrolling through the top 25. How did we gloss over the fact that Penn state put a beat down on Wisconsin? <laughs> that- and I know 10 points isn't really a beat down, but when it's Penn state. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, when you are, I, I'm pretty sure that I have Penn state listed at, uh, at least 11th in the latest power rankings in the big 10. Yeah. Yeah. You go, you go out and put a double digit victory uh, on one of the top teams in the big 10 with, they deserve a little bit of shine. I I know they've been putting up points, but that was, that was impressive. Yeah. I mean, now they've got wins against number 14, Wisconsin at the time that they beat Virginia tech, Virginia tech was ranked, I believe Mm -hmm. in the top 20. Um, So oddly enough, they've got, quite the resume there that they're building unfortunately they're three and six in the conference and wow six and seven overall so but it's just with penn state you never know they're scary um because they when it clicks 
it, you can see what's getting put together there because when it clicks, mm-hmm. they're beating really good teams. Um, but we've already talked about Wisconsin and their attrition. I mean, this will be the second straight week they fall in the rankings. Um, they started at somewhere around six, I believe, and then they fell to the 15. And now they'll probably, or the 14, and now they'll probably be somewhere up there in Kansas. I'm assuming probably in the 22, 23 range. Yeah, I'm thinking both of them. I mean, both of those teams have spent time in the top five this year, and now they'll find their way all the way down into the 20s. But uh, how far that we – we were talking about Oklahoma. How far do you think they rise in these rankings? With I, I, what were they going in? They were number twenty-four going in, right? Yeah, and they go, they beat number five Texas, and then they beat number nine Alabama. You know, I, traditionally, I would say this team's going to end up in the top fifteen. I, I mean, mm-hmm. they kind of have to with what what they we've seen, who they beat, what they've done in the last four to five games, and everything that happened in front of them. But I don't know who the, the the voters are this year, but they're doing some off the wall crap with their <laughs> rankings. So I, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say that they land somewhere between 16 and and 19, somewhere in there probably. Yeah. Um, have they really? Have they? I don't know that they are about to get into the teeth of their schedule. Um, so it might just be one of those situations where they want to hold off before you know touting them as something they might not turn out to be. Yeah. Uh, but gosh darn, the Big 12 this year. Because I think. So they just played. Uh, they just had three straight wins against top ten teams because Kansas was still in the top ten when they beat them right. last Saturday. So then uh, tomorrow night uh, we have this picked as a game to talk about Oklahoma and Texas Tech. Uh, then they have to go play Baylor, West Virginia, and Texas also. So they, they just have a brutal stretch here. Yeah. But they can really set themselves up nicely with a couple more wins. Well, and that's everyone in the Big 12 this year. I mean, I think I was reading something that five of the top 10 or 15 teams are from the state of Texas. Is that um, right? So you've got Baylor at two, Texas at five, Houston at six, and Texas Tech at 10. So four okay. of the top 10. Four of the top 10 are from the state of Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on in the Big 12 this year. And it's nice to see that it's not that it's not attrition as much as it is parity. Um, yep. There's there's six, seven really good basketball teams um, in there. And a lot of people are saying, you know, would you take Gonzaga or the field? I would take the bet Gonzaga versus the Big 12 because, I mean, just by sheer happenstance, you got to figure one Big 12 team, possibly two, are going to make it to the Elite Eight. Yeah, de- depending on how things uh, match up, because uh, I know some of these teams do have matchup problems, but I mean, th- that's with most of the teams in the country. You can pick out a flaw that, to exploit. But yeah, I, I would not be surprised if you end up even seeing, possibly if they end up in different brackets, I could see two Big 12 teams in the Final Four. Yeah. I mean, I didn't want to go there just because uh, we've got, you know, (laughs) we've got some teams out there that might have some, you know, and again, like you said, matchups. I mean, there's certain teams that, you know, you don't really want to see in the tournament. Um, If Duke can find a way to make it, you really don't want to see a Coach K coach team um, Mm -hmm. in the tournament, although I don't think they'll make the tournament this year. Um, You definitely don't want to see any of the teams in the Big 12, but with the Big 12 looking at possibly getting nine maybe eight, maybe nine teams into the dance. I just hope they don't get put, you know, too close together. Mm-hmm. Because the problem with being the number one conference in, in the country is that you're going to get a lot of high-seated bids. Yep. So you're going to have ones and twos. And eventually they're going to have to play each other. <laughs> um, so as an ACC guy, I, it's every single year. 
um there's there's people like gosh that would suck if they got to meet but you know um yeah i mean i like gosh obviously we're both talking baylor baylor is a final four team Mm -hmm. um texas i would say could be a final four team um west virginia I, I still got to see them play defensively a little bit more. Yeah. It, as a fan, I right now with the way that they're playing over the past couple of weeks, I don't see them as a final four contender. No, I'm I, I think them as a 16 sweet 16. Yeah. I, I think eight. that if, uh, if Isaiah Cottrell didn't go down with the Achilles injury, I think that is kind of, that's one big area that's holding this team back is not having a guy to kind of give Culver a break mm-hmm. at times. I know we talked about the guards and not being able to defend, but he's a guy that he can only play at a max of like 32 minutes a game because you just need to get him. It, he gets beat up so much in the post that it, it's just a beat down for 40 minutes that he can't endure. So that's that's really what I think holds them back from being a Final Four team, even if the guards figure it out. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But, I mean, we'll get to see some good basketball this this weekend. I mean – going throughout this week obviously starting with big monday oklahoma taking on texas tech we'll see how mac mcclung and company can can go on that short turnaround and oklahoma's dealing with the same thing so regardless it should be a good game mm-hmm. um, we're also going to take a look at ohio state iowa um just see if we can figure out what's going on with ohio state um i like that i like to having to watch that game because you know they're up and they're down and they're up and they're down um yeah so. they got two wins this week i know they knocked off michigan today i think that was it ended up being like a 15-point win for them. Yeah. And I, Iowa loses their game on Friday. Did you catch much of that game, the Iowa-Illinois? Um, I watched about eight minutes into the second half, um, and it it was pretty evident where the, where the game was going. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually didn't catch it until – I probably caught it the last seven minutes or so. So I, I caught from seven minutes till the end. And, yeah, Iowa – Iowa's a team that I'm kind of jumping – off the bandwagon more so than uh, I know we were big into Iowa at the beginning of the year. They were just beating up on teams, but it's another team that you just have to be able to get stops late in games uh, to be one of those, uh, the elite teams. Yeah. I mean, Iowa, and that's surprising because um, at the beginning of the year, they were so sound defensively. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were putting, I mean, we talked about it. I think after four weeks of the season, four or five weeks of the season before they went and played, um, was it Baylor? Did Iowa and Baylor play? Um, yeah, it, it was a top ten. It was a top five matchup. I don't think it was Gonzaga. Um, no, they did play Gonzaga. Did they? Yeah. Okay, so it was Gonzaga, and we were talk going into that game talking about how you know they were averaging one hundred point four points a game going into there, while also only allowing like sixty nine points a game. Yep. And that is just not the case. I think over the last five to six games, they're averaging. Um, allowing 76 something like that yeah I'm, lo- I'm looking here they lost or they gave up 80 to illinois 81 to indiana 73 to northwestern 71 to minnesota so yeah over over that course of games it, you've got the likes of minnesota and northwestern who aren't offensive powerhouses still getting up into the 70s yeah so i mean there's something something's not clicking there and i, I still like them um I, to me when i look at iowa I think of how the NBA will rest their players during the season. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if maybe it's a little bit, cause it's, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? Yeah. You wonder if I was, you know, kind of 
because there's some minutes from some players on the bench that are going up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you wonder if maybe they're just working more people in, getting things ready. Um, but yeah, the, the defensive inefficiency lately is definitely alarming for sure for them. Um, but the game I'm looking forward to the most this next, this coming week um, is Alabama, Florida. Uh, those are two up-tempo style teams, both offensively and defensively. And um, or, is that Alabama, Missouri? I'm sorry, Alabama, Missouri. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that should be a good one We we get uh, Pinson against who's uh who's the guard for Alabama. I'm drawing a blank. Um, I almost said Colin Sexton, not Colin Sexton. Uh, <laughs> oh man, I'm gonna look this up real quick because that's gonna. Bother oh, you got Pe- Petty, uh, right. John Petty. So those two going up against each other. Uh, that'll be a fun one. Uh, that'll be an up and down game. Uh, might get into the mid '80s, even the '90s, uh, depending on how they play. Yeah, take the over on that game. Hey, yeah, wh- whatever. How did, my, uh, how did my over advice help you out on that Virginia Tech game? <laughs> so I, I, I had that on my list of games for Saturday. And then at the last second, I decided to take it off because I almost did three parlays, but I decided to just weed it down to two and just to pick my six favorites. So that just le- uh, got left off the board. But I was going to take uh, the over. And yeah. I'm, I'm glad I didn't because uh, what would the, the total end up being in that game? Uh, the total ended up being 116, I believe. And okay, uh, so, yeah. the line was uh, this, the over under the total was uh, 124 and a half. Yeah, for for those of you listening, I I texted Brandon. Uh, that was Saturday morning, about nine o'clock, and I, I was just looking at all the games, looking at all the spreads, trying to figure out what I wanted to bet on. And I was like, that seems criminally low for a Virginia team that has put up eighty plus points the last few. And, and you gave me some good advice, and I, I I ended up just staying away from it, and I'm glad I did. Yeah, I, I would have lost money on that too. Um, and, and, you know, part of that advice I, I told you was that, you know, I, traditionally this game is played. And, and like I said, I mean, it was right there. Uh, traditionally this game is played in the, in the low 60s to the high 50s. Yeah. Um, but it just seemed this year with the way both teams were playing offensively, the game was going to have to be played in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, you know, had Virginia um, not gone cold in the second half when they did, we uh, easily could have got there. Yeah, um, but again, that just goes to the great game plan that Coach Young had and mm-hmm. what he did to that offense. Um, we we still got some shots up, but we were just too cold to hit anything. And um, I'm glad I didn't cost you any money on that. But uh, yeah, <laughs> you would take any of my advice. Like I said before, when we were in pre-show, I, I'm pretty sure I was 0 and 7 this week. But the, that awesome. just means that this is going to be a big week. Uh, everything comes back to the middle eventually. So uh, 0 and 7 that, that'll turn into a seven plus win week. I hope so, because I'm out of my knees. <laughs> <laughs> I only have a certain gambling budget every month, okay? Yeah, it, that uh, it is tough to keep to that budget. Uh, you see more games that you like, but uh, yeah. you got to set the limit. For those of you that are out there betting, you can chime in wherever you're listening, because what I'm going to say is probably just a revelation amongst all of us, is that it's hard, even on nights when everything looks bleh, <laughs> it's hard to just not put money on a game. Yeah. Even if it's just a little five spot or a 10 spot on some random game, just to have it, that's the problem. Mm-hmm. Is that, it, that, that addiction, that adrenaline of wanting to, I want to watch sports, but I want to have a reason to watch the sport. Right. Yep. I, and uh, I, I had that happen tonight. Uh, part of my parlay was 
Syracuse NC State, a game that I do not care about at all. But I felt that uh, I felt that Syracuse should handle that one, and they do win. But they end up uh, they were up by three, and uh, NC State misses the shot, doesn't foul, and game's over. So I missed out on that one by two points, but I, I still like being on the right side. That's good. I two of my losses came from uh, Florida State. So Leonard Hamilton, if you're out there, I got a problem with you. I took the <laughs> first half spread. The first dude. The first half spread was only a point and a half. Oh yeah, and yeah, I know I, like I've seen Georgia Tech play three full games this year. Once against my Hoos that we eked out. I watched them play Duke and I watched them play Pittsburgh. And I'm like, look, yes, Jose Alvarado is a baller. He's the most annoying basketball player on the planet right now, <laughs> but he's a baller. But they are so small, like there's no way they're going to keep with- up. Yeah, with Florida State's length, like they, they should not have been able to get anything going. They got out-rebounded on the, yeah. off, on the offensive end. And it's I'm insane. like, man, a point and a half for Florida State at halftime? Whew, let's go ahead and pair that with the money line, too. And I went ahead and took Florida State overall. I'll be <laughs> dang if they didn't lose by 12. Yeah, that, that was crazy. Yeah, that was a team that I was starting to move up into, like, possible Final Four contenders. And I still think they, they are, but that, that was a concerning uh, loss for them. I, I did not see that one coming. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, if, if we were to – if I had to pick a Final Four right now, Florida State would be in it. Gonzaga would be in it. Um, I would have Texas in it. Um, and just, I mean, you want to say you want to say Baylor, uh, but you don't know how it's going to shake out necessarily for yeah. 12 in the tournament. So I would probably just to have attrition and keep a, a, a team from each, co- from each conference in there. I'd probably throw Iowa in there. Okay, yeah, I would probably – right now – I would probably go Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan, and then I probably still would go with Florida State. I, I still do like them enough. That, that would be my four. Well, we'll have to see how that pans out. Of course, as the season get, develops, we'll have that'll change eighteen thousand times. Uh, yeah, exactly. We'll have another. The only lock point. is Gonzaga. <laughs> uh, yep, exactly. It's Gonzaga and the rest of the field. But so with that, uh, we'll we'll leave you there with our final four predictions for this week. Uh, just check us out for another four next week when we completely change our minds. <laughs> Uh, but uh, you can find me everywhere at JTZ4. You can find Brandon everywhere at Sports with BJ. And that is another well-executed press break.